I think most of you know me, but my name is Ed Roche. I'm a, uh, one of the members here at uh, the church. And I joked in the first service that I'm the old guy preaching once in a while because we have all these young guys uh, coming here. And in the 9.30 service, I had my son here who attended elementary school in this place 24 years ago. So, yeah, I am getting old. But this morning again, I have the privilege and the responsibility to present the, the word of the Lord. And uh, please be praying that the, the Holy Spirit may be present and bring us understanding in, in a way that we glorify his name. This passage that we're going to study today, we are in the study of the epistle to the Philippians. And it's one of the most beautiful set of verses in the in the whole New Testament, in the whole Bible. So I'm really glad when Seth, myself, and Pastor Chris were uh, discussing the schedule for the different Sundays. Pastor Chris said that he would be on vacation this, uh, this weekend, and he said, would you like to preach on uh, May 23rd? And I, I looked quickly at the list, and I saw that it was Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I said, I'll take that because that has been one of my favorite uh, pastors of the Bible for a long time. In preparation for this morning, I was reading commentaries and watching some pastors preaching, and I watched John MacArthur and Timothy Keller. And Pastor Timothy Keller, he says the same thing in the beginning. He says, this is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. And then he pauses and he asks his church, do I say that every Sunday? Because <laughs> I think he enjoys the, the word so much that he said, but, but this is, this is really one of, the, one of the best. So remember that when I made the, the, the introduction to Philippians a few Sundays ago, I, say, I called that, that, that sermon a letter from a friend. And Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to his friends in the, in the city of uh, Philippi. And it is a friendly letter it's an encouraging letter. It's a less structured letter than some of his other uh, epistles. So he goes from some personal comments that he's made, some personal notes, to some of the deep, deepest doctrines presented in the Bible. So, and that's one of them that we're going to be uh, looking at today. This is considered one of the most important Christological passages of the New Testament because in six, seven verses, it summarizes the position and mission of Jesus Christ and what his ministry meant and what his mission meant uh, here. So please hold to your seats. It, I think we're, we're going to have an interesting study here. Now, I hope that it's not an overly theoretical. I mean, I'm going to do a expository Bible study this morning. I, I hope you guys can grasp what it means for you and it doesn't stay out in thin air. A few years ago, uh, Lisa and I went to Washington, D.C. We went there. It was, we were voting in the Brazilian election. And we decided to, to visit the uh, Bible Museum. We had limited time. We went there. While there were very interesting things, I mean, old manuscripts and uh, translations, all kinds of translations and big Bibles, small Bibles, I mean, everything, obviously, about the Bible, we felt that something was kind of missing in the air of that uh, ambient. I almost wish that when you walk in, there was a big mural saying, it's all about Jesus. I think that was kind of what was missing. It was talking about the Bible. And it was not 
stating clearly enough that the whole thing, I mean, this whole book from Genesis to Revelation is talking about God's plan to redeem man, to have man in a relationship with him again. And this passage will highlight that in a marvelous way. So if you have your Bibles, please, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We use uh, the ESV if you... uh, are selecting that on your devices there. We have some Bibles in the back if you need. But please pay attention in this passage. Even if I would read this and stop and sit down, it would have been a message for our hearts today because it is phenomenal. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God they think to be grasped, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father this is the word of the Lord it's beautiful stuff actually there are some very strong evidence that this was kind of a worship song that the early church used this if you go back to the Greek it has the the metrics and the rhymes it's poetry I mean this is built in a way of uh, poetry so Probably the, the, the church was reciting this or singing this together in the early, uh, early church there. So it's beautiful. Now, if you summarize those seven verses, basically it's saying, Jesus is God. He became a man. He is Lord. That's it. We can, again, thank you very much for uh, coming this morning. But we're going to divide that in very small pieces and go through the, the, the verses to see what else we can extract for ourselves. Basically, there are three groups of verses. Verse 5 is kind of a bridge verse between what Pastor Chris preached last Sunday and what we're going to be talking today. If you remember, Pastor Chris talked about unity and humility last Sunday. So when Paul starts here, verse 5, he's making that connection. Then 6, 7, 8, it's kind of pointing down. It starts with Christ up there and coming down towards us. And then verses 9, 10, and 11 is going in the other uh, direction. We'll see that. So verse 5, please keep an eye on your Bibles there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is asking the Philippian church, he's asking our church to have the same mind that Christ has. Well, he's going to explain what that mind is. I was talking to Pastor Chris. I said, maybe these two could even be in reverse order. That Paul could have explained the mind of Jesus Christ, his humility, accepting the mission that God had prepared for him. And then go and, therefore, you have this same mind. But he did in the opposite direction. He is talking to his friends and he talked to to them things like, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves and he was talking about that in the verse prior to to this here he's gonna say okay 
Let's understand why I'm asking you guys to, to do that. Let's talk about the mindset of Christ. And that's a mindset that the verse says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He provides that to us. We can't fabricate that mindset, that mind of Christ that we are being challenged to, to have. Verse 6. So that made the bridge. Now verse 6. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, verse 5, the final words of it were Jesus Christ. So verse 6, when it starts, who, though, blah, 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 obviously it's talking about Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's very obvious from the previous verse that the who, though he was in the form of God, that is obviously referring to Jesus Christ. So what it's stating is that Jesus Christ was in the form of God. The word in Greek there is morphe. It means everything, the essence of God, the attributes of God, the glory of God. So it's saying with all the words very clearly to the readers that Jesus is God. This is 100% God. He was not created by God he is God from from the beginning uh, he is equal to God actually uh, uh, you probably might remember the f famous first verse of the gospel of John in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God obviously the word is referring to Jesus Christ so that verse ends by saying Jesus Christ was God now, it's a little intriguing if you read that verse carefully. It says, he was with God, he was God. How can you be with somebody and be somebody? Well, that's the mystery of the Trinity. That would be an entirely different sermon if we had the time to detour there. It's, it's a mystery we don't fully understand, but clearly Jesus Christ is 100% God. Again, I mean, I... I read on some commentaries that some people try to insist that Jesus never said he was God. That was created by Paul and by the church afterwards. Well, John in the, in the gospel says clearly he was God. Jesus Christ says at, at one point, he says, before Abraham was, I am. So he states that he has always uh, existed. So there are obviously many, many evidence that Jesus is God. So that's a starting point for these six verses that will go down and up as we go through them. Now, the continuation of the verse uh, says there that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, let's look at that grasped a little bit there. Uh, actually, again, every... Every commentator that I was looking at takes the time to explore that because the word grasp in English, we could have two ways of interpreting it. Like grasp, I'm, I'm getting something that is not mine and I'm uh, getting it, I'm seizing, I'm snatching it. That could be the meaning of the word grasp. And if you think, that's kind of what Lucifer tried to do, right? To grasp equality with God. That's actually what Adam did in, in trying to have understanding of good and evil. He was trying to be equal to God. Actually, that was the offer from the, from the serpent there, right? You, may, you will be like God. So that would be the expression of grasp if it meant 
to see to 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 take it to uh, snatch it. Uh, actually, we do that in many cases when we want to have control of everything, when we want to be kings of our lives. What we are doing, we are seizing something that doesn't belong to us. We are trying to grasp equality with God that doesn't belong to us. But the meaning of grasping this text is to cling to, to hang to. Jesus was there. He was God completely in essence, in attributes, in glory. He could have stayed there. But he didn't grasp to it. He didn't cling to it. He accepted the mission that was necessary for him to take to redeem us. Okay, so that is the, the, the meaning of the word grasp there. Since we're talking about the mission, the next verses will explain it better. So verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So part one of the mission, become a man, 100% man. So to do that, he had to unclothe himself of his glory. Okay, he, he didn't unclothe himself of his deity. He was still 100% God. But he couldn't come here and live among us with his glory. I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, it, there are several expressions that man cannot see the, 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 the glory of God. So it would have been impossible. So he had to empty himself from his glory. He also limited his attributes quite a bit. I mean, being God, he would have only presence, only potency, only science, and he had to limit all those attributes to be able to be 100% man. In, if I keep doing the parallel to, to John, uh, John 16, 28, Jesus himself says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. So it's not, yes, he was born as a baby, but he, he came from, from God for that, that mission. He also says in that beautiful prayer that he does on uh, John 17, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So again, just the same. Before the world was created, I was with you with all the glory. That's the same thing that Paul is talking about. Again, another proof of the unity of the message of the Bible. Then go to, let's go to verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above all name. So with his, part one of his mission accomplished. Wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Page out of sequence. I thought I, it's, it's missing the second part of his, uh, his mission here. Sorry. See, I didn't need the explosion to have an, ex, uh, an interruption. We had an explosion here in the first service. Now I had the interruption by my own inability to look at the numbers of the, of the page. So, part one of Jesus' mission, the incarnation. He needed to become a man to accomplish this redeeming plan that God had created. Okay? So, part one, the incarnation. Then, verse 8, not verse 9. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, part 2 of his mission, not only he became a man, part 1, part 2, he needed to be obedient 
until the death, death on a cross. And Jesus says again in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. His death was necessary. So his incarnation was necessary. His death was necessary. I mean, sin had created a separation between us and God. Small or big, we have all sinned. We are stained. We can't be in the presence of the Lord. We can't be in a relationship with God carrying our sins. It has to be cleansed. And we cannot do it. So this redeeming plan of Jesus, him incarnating and him suffering and dying, created the possibility of cleansing for ourselves so we can have a relationship with God. Imagine what that meant for Jesus. He left his glory, came here as a man, as a servant. He died, died on the worst type of death that he could have. And by taking our sin, he looked so ugly in that cross that the Father looked the other way. Right? I mean, that's the only moment of separation between Jesus the Son and, uh, and God the Father in, in all eternity. Because he looked ugly with all our our sins. So when he says there, it's finished, he had completed the big two parts of his mission uh, here. Now again, remember, I don't want us to lose sight that Paul is using this example to substantiate what he talked on the first verses that Pastor Chris covered last, last week about humility. Again, when he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He's saying, have the mind of Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. He left heaven to come to sacrifice himself to rescue us. That's a big challenge. I mean, that, that's a compelling argument that he has there. But the redemption plan didn't end there, didn't end on the cross, didn't end on the tomb. There was a resurrection coming on that third day. So the resurrection was necessary. Death was defeated. Our redemption plan was complete. So we celebrate throughout the year, and sometimes we forget the three things that we celebrate are the three steps of our redemption plan. Christmas, Jesus' incarnation. Good Friday, Jesus' death. And Easter, his resurrection. His incarnation was necessary. His death was necessary. His resurrection was necessary for our plan of redemption with God to be, to be done, to be good. Now we are on verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above all name. Mission accomplished. Now we, I said that we had three verses going down and we have three verses going up uh, here. He's not giving a name. He's giving the name above all name. Lord of all, we sang earlier today, King of Kings. Remember when we were going through Acts when Stephen was being stoned and he looks and he sees the heavens open and he sees Jesus on the right side of the Father? He is back to his glory. His name has been exalted again. He is with God. And now verse 10 and 11, we're going to read those together. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, unit of scriptures. Go back to Isaiah 45, 23. It says, by myself I had sworn 
from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. Then you say, wait a minute, that never happened. We, never ha we have never had a moment in history where that happened, that every knee bowed to the Lord, every mouth confessed that he is Lord. But there is more. I mean, we, we know that the story is not over yet. Uh, if we read Revelation 5.13, we see, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that's in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So there will be a moment where every voice will say, this is the Lord. I was talking between the service with uh, one of the brothers, and he said, how is that going to happen? I mean, will everybody believe? I said, well, it's going to be undeniable. Because when he comes back, he's going to come in glory. He's not going to come as a little baby in, in Bethlehem. He's going to come in glory. It's going to be undeniable. I mean, people saying, I mean, I get goosebumps just to think about that. I mean, Jesus returning, and everybody say, he is Lord. He is God. So, obviously, some people say, and I missed it. So, Maranatha, come back, Lord. I mean, we want to, to have that moment, that uh, experience. Now, if you were following in the Bible, the verse as I was reading, you may have noticed that I didn't finish verse 11. When I uh, stopped verse 11, I said, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I stopped there, but the verse actually continued. To the glory of God the Father. So the whole redemptive plan has this final goal that everything that happened will glorify the God. That's why Jesus did what he did to glorify the Father. God loves us. He wants a relationship with us forever. So Christ came redeemed so the Father can be glorified by having this relationship with us. Jesus in that same prayer in John 17, he said, so where I will be, they can be with me, talking about his, his followers. So can you imagine, I mean, the promise is that we will be with him. You guys know I'm from, uh, from Brazil and I'm a big soccer fan, a horrible player, but a big, a big fan. And in 2018, Liz and I were in Brazil during the World Cup. The country literally stops when the team is playing. And actually, we got together in my mom's church there in the garage. We put a big screen, and uh, we were watching there with a large group. It's always more fun, and everybody's nervous. I mean, the team is not playing well, and the, the other team scores, and we don't know what's going on. And I was sitting there in 2018, and I thought, what if we knew What's the end of the story? What if we knew that, well, our team will be the champion, will lift the trophy? Wouldn't it change completely how we watch the game? Say, ah, they scored. Yep, okay. They are a little ahead. That's okay. We know the end of the story. We know that uh, our team is going to be the champion. It would be much easier. But sometimes we kind of forget that in our spiritual life we have that. Maybe we are playing a tough game right now. Maybe we are in a moment in our lives that we feel... We're being defeated. I mean, the, the adversary is, is, is beating us. The opponent is, is beating us. But 
victory is final. The name of the Lord will be praised, will be glorified. We know our Lord wins at the end. And that's what I, I, I want to leave in our hearts this morning. So we can worship as a result of understanding this plan. I mean, this, when Jesus being God, with all the glory, with all the essence and attributes of God, he empties himself, comes here, then he is exalted and he is with God again to the point that every person will recognize that he is God, that he is Lord. Again, verse uh, 513 of uh, Revelations, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We're going to pray and we're going to sing that because I think most of you are already singing in your mind that uh, the, this, that says, uh, to him be this uh, glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can open your word. We can hear your voice, Lord. To your name be the glory this, this morning, Lord. Thank you for your love for us that made you send Jesus Christ to suffer, to die, to defeat death and to open the, the way for us to have a relationship with you. Glory to your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>